Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Congress brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. And Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. Has Jordan. Allen shakes free. Gets two. Gilmore on the stop. Oh, brother. Lead Toledo artist. You get 21. 4.28 to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace. Here's Barry. Podcast at HarvardProcessing.com. I am Jason Mann, and with me as usual, Rich Krejci. Rich Krejci, back with you. Absolutely. So we are going. This is going to be an average podcast. It's going to be pretty, uh, pretty mediocre. Like not good, not bad, just kind of in the middle, which is fine. Sometimes you, you know, that's okay. Sometimes it is. Okay. You know, you need ditch diggers. Sometimes you can't. You can't all be all stars. You know. Yeah. I. I'm not sure where the ditch digging comes from, but I mean, I. I, I guess that's an average job, right? <laughs> Uh yeah well no I I, I suppose you can make some pretty good money I don't know I, well we'll, we'll have I to know. explore the economics of ditch digging in a future podcast but <laughs> um so we are um we're celebrating I guess is the word the uh, ESPN's recent all time NBA rank of uh, players by um, putting our little spin on it we're looking at um the 
the most average NBA players ever. And it's not really us saying that these guys are average. It's more uh, basketball references, uh, box score plus minus stat. Uh, so so the guys, there, there are 15 guys in NBA history who played more than 10,000 career minutes who have exactly a 0.0 box score plus minus. So we're going to look right. at... Uh, at these guys, so I. So if one of your favorite rest, uh, one of your favorite, you know, basketball players is on here. Don't get mad at us. It's not our fault. Yeah. <laughs> get mad at at Neil Payne and uh, and the crew uh, or the former crew. He was, I know, he's at five thirty eight now. Sure. Uh, uh, get mad at Neil Payne and then get mad at Basketball Reference. So there, there you go. At B Ball underscore Raff and go. <laughs> I cannot believe you chose Ralph Sampson as average. Sure. So <laughs> what know. what what's the benefit of block score plus minus as opposed to like win shares per forty eight or some of the other stats that we've um talked about? Yeah, it, it's sort of a lot of it is depending on what um, sort of what stat you want. I mean, we could have chose win shares, I think. But I think one of the cool things about the box score plus minus is that it's sort of with win shares, you sort of accumulate them over time. Like it's very I mean, you're you're it's nearly impossible to get like zero win share or, or you know, less than zero win shares and that sort of stuff. So it's kind of full for this sort of exercise. It's pretty good because with box score plus minus, you will get a lot of negatives. You know, if the if the person grades out that particular year on the defensive end in some of the metrics uh they will be you know minus 3.2 or whatever and then that that'll help because it'll sort of balance it a little bit more between offense and defense as well whereas win shares it's sort of all piled in together which is fine sometimes but i think for this particular exercise uh box score plus minus i enjoy um there are limitations though and you'll see when we go through all these guys that a lot of them have similar sort of traits and a lot of it is you know, shooting percentage will be a big part of a lot of these guys, what position they play and what they shoot at that position. You know, a shooting guard that shoots, you know, near 40% will be very low in here. And, and in some ways there might be good defenders that you're like, Oh man, how are they there? Like we'll talk about one guy in a little bit who I consider a pretty good defender, but box score plus minus uh, specifically uh, defensive box score plus minus rates him somewhat low because it's a box score metric as it says in the name. So it's, it's steals, it's blocks, it's rebounds, it's points. So there's not like the little stuff. It's not a lot of like on court, off court stuff that we're, we're, we sometimes see, especially with, you know, some of the newer metrics that are coming out and some of the stuff that's going to be coming out. Uh, you know, over the next, you know, next few years or whatever, it's not very on off court. It's not all that. It's, yeah. it's box score stuff. I mean, so what you do yeah. that records on the stat sheet is what counts. So does it account for plus minus at all? Or, I mean, it, obviously plus minus is in the stat. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So there, I think, I think it does a little bit and, and I, I don't, it's sort of a mix. To be an expert it's intended to, it all, it's intended to be a it, mix it, it of does. those. And, and there are more, I, I guess there are probably more refined metrics um, that have come out in the last few years that kind of regarding that, but this is, the one basketball reference uses so it's exactly yeah and there's value over replacement player which uh basketball reference uses as well yeah. which uh is very similar to box score plus minus it's a box score based stat but it um it, it it what it will do is it sort of tabulates a little bit more of the playing time uh aspect will get lumped into there as well as the mythical replacement level player or whatever sure. and and in a lot of cases the guys that we're talking about here you could make a case that maybe they are some of these that sort of prototypical replacement level player which doesn't mean they're awful it just means they're you know a guy that you can just sort of find and, and fill into a role and that's what he does you, you know that sort of thing like it, it gets a negative connotation when it doesn't necessarily mean you're awful it just means you're kind of just a guy who could be replaced by yeah. someone else yeah. it's not it's not you're not like oh my god why is this guy even in the league but it's just it, it's 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 a nice little kind of benchmark baseline yeah, and, for some and this is obviously accounting for everyone's career so at certain times they may have they may have been a positive player at certain times they may have been right. a negative player i think that's important yeah with a few of the guys that we're going to talk about is you're going to look at these guys and go oh my god no he was great for like five years or whatever and it's like yeah but what did you do you know before that and after that and that's why this is just kind of a fun exercise that we're just going to kind of play around with we're not necessarily saying that this guy is the 
the most average player ever like because there's a few in the top three especially and i'm like no way that guy is like a, a pretty great player but with this exercise it's kind of fun we're going to spend more time sort of talking about these players because when else would we talk about like a few of these guys you know sure it- like there's no other reason to ever talk about Chris Mills and, except for today. <laughs> there is, so that's, there's that's, not. No. I mean, what other reason will we ever come maybe, up with? Weirdest fights, maybe, but that's to be about <laughs> yeah. it, so, which we'll get into as well. Times shot on wrong basket. Yes, yeah. there you go. Um, Times, so we, uh, so uh, Bosker. That'd be a good episode, Ricky Davis. Uh, there you go. I'm, Bobby Sir, sure. Wasn't it Bob Sir too, or was it just Ricky Davis? Um, I don't think, Bob Sir did do something weird with triple doubles, but I don't think he actually shot at, at the wrong basket. Okay, that was just Ricky Davis and Chris Mills. Okay, well, we'll do that one next. So there will be actually two reasons to do it. Right, Chris there Mills. you go. There you go. I guess. Um, so we, we included um, only guys who, so Bosser plus minus dates back to the 74 season. Um, so nobody on this list is there before 74. And we only included guys who their full career, um, we didn't, we didn't include guys. There's some guys who went back to 74, but part of their career covered this. We decided, no, we're just, we, it has to be your whole career to uh, decide it. So we may not be very, be very scientific, but we're being very precise. So. Exactly. Um, it's Curtis Harris, if you'd like to know. Yeah, um, or another historian, Curtis, obviously being being the best one. But if there are, yeah, there there may be other historians out there who can tell you who was the most average before 1974. But I just like people bothering Curtis. I <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. He, well, I was just send him to Curtis. Like, hey, what do you know about this? I don't know. Ask Curtis. I'm, I'm sure he appreciates it. Yeah. <laughs> Go ask him. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so we'll start. We're going from least to most minutes here in our uh, in our ranking. So, um, so average for the least amount of time to the longest amount of time. Uh, number fifteen. He's of course uh, still active. Uh, Taj Gibson. Uh, you're you being the Chicago Bulls fan. Why don't you uh, take a t- take it for Taj? Yeah, so I'll start off just kind of going over uh, some of his career averages just to give you an idea uh, of where he's at right now. And as, as Jason mentioned, he's still you know active right now as of, of this year. Uh, his career average is 9.1 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game. Uh, his career average, uh, 48.8 uh, uh, free uh, field goal percentage. I don't know, free throw percentage. That doesn't matter. You don't probably care about that all that much. Uh, and then otherwise, in some of the other, you know, 1.3 blocks per game um, and just a little stuff like that. And, and the big reason for him why I think he's on this list. Um, oh, r- real quick, I'll, I'll go over his, his peak season because that's something we're going to do as well, kind of go over the time when these guys were were definitely above average or, or a particular season where they were well above average. Uh, my peak season for him was kind of tough because a lot of his seasons have kind of blended together, but I thought the uh, 2013-14 season, uh, he averaged 13 points per game, 6.8 rebounds per game, uh, and that year he had a 5.7 win share. Uh, box score plus minus did not like him that year, though. They put him at a negative 1.1, but I thought all the other metrics uh, at least had him fairly high. Uh, particularly win shares, which thought that was his best year. Uh, as far as why he's averaged, there's a few things. You know, he's a 48, as I mentioned, 48.8% uh, career shooter. Uh, he's just under, you know, 10 points per game. He's a solid enough defender, but he's not great. He's a solid enough rebounder, but he's not awesome. And he's a good scorer, but he's not, like, enough where you can just park him down low and let him attack. Like, he, he, he likes to do that, and he thinks that he can do that a little bit from watching Bulls games, but he's just not that great at it like he's he's just kind of inconsistent on that he's very good at like put back dunks and stuff like that but as far as like a back to the basket guy he's not one of those guys you can do he gets a lot of his points off just sort of hustle points um i would think that he is the more defensive type where he doesn't necessarily have the steals and the uh, blocks and the rebounds like he's probably a good like positional like actual like preventing point type defender but it doesn't necessarily accounted in the uh, in the box score stats yeah, absolutely. Um, no, and, and that's, yeah, I, from watching his career a lot, he is a guy, he's very spatial in terms of how he defends. And, and also when you have a guy like a Joe Kim Noah, 
uh, as your center. And, and a lot of units he's played w- with Noah, you know, on the same lineup. Noah's going to be your guy that's probably going to get accumulate a lot of those blocks. And, and Gibson will do more of the kind of the dirty work to get him to that point, maybe force him to the middle of the paint, that sort of stuff. And that's that's Gibson to a T. I mean, that, that's absolutely what he does. And he's a solid defender. I'm not putting him down at all right. on that run. But like you said, yeah, he's not going to accumulate a ton of yeah. blocks, a ton well, of steals, that sort of stuff. That's so. more probably why the metric grades him probably as a worse defender than he probably is in actually in reality. True. Yeah. Right. And then, um, you know, why he's not average, at least, you know, if we think of uh, of an argument of, no, he's not average. This is why, you know, he's uh, 32nd uh, among Fords and win shares uh, since 2010, which is, is solid. I mean, enough for, I wouldn't call that average. I mean, that's a pretty lengthy amount of time that he's at least been in, you know, that somewhat upper echelon. Uh, he's never had a uh, negative value of replacement player. Um, he's never been negative in, in that. And he's had many years above one. So, I mean, there's a lot of really good years. Uh, nothing like all-star level, nothing elite, nothing like superstar anywhere near, but solid enough guy. He's like a very good role player on a team. So, you know, in one sense, maybe it depends what your definition of average is. Maybe that is your definition of average, but to me, I think he's probably just a little bit above that, but it's, it's, who knows? It's, it's, it's it's interesting to say, but it was fun. He is the, uh, he was a runner up for sixth man of the year in 2014, lost it to um, Jamal Crawford uh, that year. Um, and I was somewhat surprised to learn that Taj is not actually short for something else. I just, I, no, yeah, I it's just Taj. I don't yeah. know why I figured, I, I guess that it was, uh, obviously Taj would be an uncommon name other than Taj Mahal. I'm not familiar with any other Tajes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so it is just Taj. Nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> no. <laughs> so next is, um, next is Ralph Sampson and, um, or his career averages. Uh, career averages for Ralph Sampson, and of course, you're probably going, oh my god, Ralph Sampson, but yes. uh, you know, he, there's a pretty good case for him being pretty average, yes. we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, 15.4 points per game, um, 8.8 rebounds per game, uh, so pretty solid on there. As far as shooter, uh, 48.6% uh, in his career, but what we kind of find out when you dig into Ralph Sampson, he's maybe one of those guys that we talked about at the top of the show where, you know, the beginning of his career or a certain point of his career, he's decidedly not, I mean, he's absolutely not average whatsoever. But there's the end of Ralph Sampson's career, which yeah. is, is just not very good. Yeah. And even in the strongest years of his career, like the advanced stats don't grade him out as well as you might think. Like, I mean, he certainly um, performed well, but he's more of like the box score stats like him. The advanced stats, not quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, probably it, the, the lack of shooting for um, a certain amount of time. Um but I, I'm sure this is more this is somewhat that and then more of just he fell off a cliff because of injuries um, after his uh, prime season. Yeah, I mean, he was a he's a member of the uh, Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, three time college player of the year, a four time all star, including the MVP of the 85 all star game um, and appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated six times in a span of less than four years between 79 and and 83 from college was to that guy. season yeah exactly yeah i mean <laughs> that, that was the phenom i mean it was a phenom yeah yeah he would have been like the lebron of his of his time only you know he played in college of course but as far as you know the the, the phenom who was hyped to be the next big thing that was definitely samson he was like uh he was a, a combination of wilton and russell was literally how he was built so <laughs> i mean seven three he was you know um incredibly skilled great passer or you know just ha- had all these different just the athleticism and all these different s- skills that seemed like they, it could be like a perfect package for a basketball player. And it just, you know, didn't work out for various reasons. 
Um, other stuff about him, uh, peak season, I, I put 84-85, I think, as his. You know, he's 10th in MVP voting that year. He's got a career-high uh, 22.1 uh, points per game uh, and 6.2 win shares. I think that was a pretty solid season by his standards. But like you said, a lot of the stuff that makes him average is that shooting. It's, you know, his, his career-effective field goal percentage. Uh, he, he's in the bottom half of the three point era among you know big men and, and centers and forwards or whatever uh he had a promising beginning of his career but of course you know by 1987 his career had pretty much fallen off and and some of those last years like his sacramento years he's shooting like near 30 percent from the field which is a guy that's that's seven three and a big man you really can't do that that's just no good but uh yeah it, it's you know he the negative the, the the offensive box score plus minus like you were sort of mentioning always gave him very even in his prime he was very much you know he's pretty negative like they just did not like a lot of the stuff that he did and it might have you know i i can't exactly attribute exactly what it was but a lot of it was probably his shooting which was never just elite level it was just okay for for a big man of his uh of what he was but yeah if you look at his first four seasons i mean of course you know we talk about why he's average or why he's not i think one of the big reasons why he's not is those first four years i mean those are are you know 7.6 failure value over replacement player those years uh only a one in the box score plus minus but as we mentioned they don't really love him in that uh 19.4 win shares 19.9 points per game and then 10.5 rebounds per game which are very good numbers uh not maybe elite and not up to the level that we sort of assumed Raph Simpson was going to be but solid enough numbers where I wouldn't call him average but it's that last part of his career that just completely tanks him yeah and I wonder you know because after his rookie season and I and I you know you could definitely pick first or second year as kind of his strongest seasons but after his rookie season he joins up with uh Olajuwon and he's playing power forward most of the time I mean he's playing away from the basket and he did sort of have some skills, um, you know, that that kind of lended themselves to maybe thinking you think he'd be OK at the perimeter. But shooting was not one of them. So that was kind of the uh, I, that, that may have been something that kind of dragged him down a little bit, even though, you know, he, he obviously um, still had some skills and ha- had some things that worked out. And, mm-hmm. and Houston had success. They managed to beat the Lakers in the um, 86 Western Conference finals and huge upset made the finals and, you know, took the Celtics to six games with a, a pretty young team that seemed poised for big things before Samson's injury and, and, and other uh, issues at tore that team apart. So um, yeah, I, he, yeah, he would definitely be a guy where the, you know, the, the very good in the beginning is just, is just outweighed by, um, you know, the collapse in the second half of his career. Right. Uh, so number thirteen is uh, Sam Bowie, of course. Uh, most phenoms, phenoms of plenty. Yes, yes. <laughs> on in this one. He, he's not less. He's not as much of a no. And, uh, although honestly, he. Um, what I did not realize is that he and um, Ralph Sampson were involved in a fairly famous um, high school game in uh, the Washington D.C. era. They were they were kind of like the two biggest high school mm-hmm. players of their era. Samson being ahead for most of the time, although um, Bowie was actually the National High School Player of the Year as a junior. Of course, he's best known for being taken ahead of Michael Jordan in the um, 84 draft, and uh, his career averages were uh, 10.9 points per game, 7.5 rebounds per game, 45.2 field goal percentage. Um, had really, you know, did not work out for the Blazers. Spent about four years there and, and was was injured. Did okay for um for the next few years with the Nets. Um, and then had another couple years bouncing around before he retired. So had about ten years in the league. He um, I mean, definitely a bust compared to Jordan as far as like uh, you know, if he'd been drafted like fifteenth, you know, would he have been a bust? No, he'd have been he'd right. have had like an okay career. 
Yeah, exactly. And and, and the biggest thing again, is we mentioned sort of the the career field goal percentage, and that's what really kind of in, in this sense will make him average, um, or what gives him that zero point zero, you know, five star plus minus. He was just a mediocre mediocre shooter for his size, you know, forty uh forty five point two percent field goal, uh forty five point six percent effective field goal. There's just uh, just not good numbers for a big man. And then you know, spending the bulk of your prime career injured and and unable to play really hurt as well because we saw him when he was healthy. You know, ninety one, ninety two was a very you know he had been through all those injuries, been through all that stuff, and yet, you know, that's a, probably his peak season, you know, 15 points per game, 8.1 rebounds per game, uh, 4.6 win shares, uh, 1.1 value of a replacement player. You see what you have there, and you see in his rookie year as well when he was a little bit healthy as well. He's a 53% shooter, uh, 10 points per game, 8.6 rebounds per game. No, maybe not elite. No, obviously not better than Jordan or a lot of the other guys in that draft, but like you said, if, if he had you know, stayed relatively healthy or at least somewhat what he did here, but was drafted 15th, there'd be a completely different story about him. But because he's so revered as the guy ahead of Jordan, those numbers and his career and the injuries and all that stuff sort of add up to what we call the biggest bust. And, you know, by and large, a very average player, which is fine. It's okay, but it's it, he's he's one there's not really much argument he's pretty average. yeah portland not obviously not okay with it but um no they uh okay. yeah they were <laughs> they, they uh, open for a little bit that's all right uh it's portland. next they're used to it uh they're, yeah, oh, they he still, went into <laughs> they're not used to it at all <laughs> they still hate it but right right uh he went in uh to harness racing after his nba uh career uh ended i, I think he's uh he and um he's also involved with the university of kentucky still he, he played there and uh was very successful there so uh, so he's living a was he the racer? living a was solid like, life. I, I think I don't think he raced. No, I don't think he races himself. He he's owned, like, he yeah, owned. Yeah, okay. he's like in the business. I I want to see that if that's true. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'll get on. They're like, nah. Ideally, <laughs> we're gonna have somebody a little thinner. Yeah. Like ideally, uh, how about this well, guy? That's like, if it's harness racing, body right? If it's harness racing, isn't aren't they on? Well, he's on the thing, but it's still he's still got enough weight where they probably are gonna want like a little, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know if it makes. They're gonna want a little tiny Mexican guy doing it, right? I think I don't know. I I don't know if it makes that big of a difference when you're involved in the uh you know when you're on the cart i mean i'm sure it makes somewhat of a difference oh the cart's got a okay let's i mean see. the cart's there probably pretty heavy when you... there we go farntowire.com <laughs> does the weight <laughs> how much emphasis if any do you put on the weight of the harness driver in handicapping let's see uh i don't know who any of these people are okay this is a deep i didn't know this was such a deep form it said gary rath is a big boy and he doesn't win many races i don't know who that is so we'll just leave now so all right all right well fair uh, enough but someone let us know someone who's a harness it, racing expert please I, we are very i'm yeah i'm not i don't know how fascinated i am with that question but i'm glad that we <laughs> went and do it anyway so uh let's move on uh john biscuit marks does well and he is as heavy as pigland almost all right well fair enough uh, we have an NBA history weird uh, niche, and there's a weird niche for uh, harness yeah, racing too. I, so there, it, it takes all kinds. <laughs> right. uh, so Greg Anthony, um, he was the uh, the very first Vancouver Grizzly taken second overall in the 1995 expansion draft. Uh, also a starter on the uh, famed 1990 UNLV Re- Run Rebels uh, team, one of the greatest college teams ever. Um, other than that, pretty much just a uh, a journeyman for uh, his career. Uh, what do the numbers say? Uh, the numbers, uh, career average, uh, 7.3 points per game, uh, 4.0 assists per game, and a 40.3% uh, 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 field goal percentage, which not great. And um, 
a lot of his stuff. I think the biggest thing is, you know, not a great shooter, uh, though he was okay from three, uh, so that's not too bad. A relatively high turnover rate and only an above average assist man uh, during his peak. So a lot of those will kind of add up into why he's not necessarily, you know, rated um, or why he's rated average. Uh, one of the big reasons as well is uh, defensive box score plus minus doesn't rate him all that well, which is is interesting and another kind of maybe a limitation of defensive box score plus minus because Greg Anthony was largely regarded as a pretty solid you know, guard defender, wing defender, correct? Yeah, he, um, you know, was a, a on the bench for the early '90s Knicks. You know, kind of part of those mm-hmm. like you know tough nose, tough minded uh, defenses. You know, not not letting you get past the perimeter. I mean, I I know the you know, and obviously the reputation can be not really reality. I mean, he he might just have that reputation a little bit more because of the reputation of those teams, but <laughs> um. But yeah, it is a little bit surprising uh, that uh, the 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 metrics don't grade him out well that well in uh, in defense. But you do see um, his peak season. I put the ninety five ninety six Vancouver uh, season. He had fourteen points per game, six point nine assists per game, one point seven value of replacement player, one point three box score plus minus, and then a four point eight win share, which basically you know is the somebody has to score. <laughs> you know, like like at some point a team has to get like you know eighty or ninety points, and that was unfortunately yes. <laughs> Craig Anthony's job uh, in in Vancouver. But you see you see what he could be potential. But he was never in that role, and I don't think he necessarily that wasn't a role that he flourished in. I think he was best in his little bench role that you mentioned off the Knicks and, and that sort of stuff. But you see what was kind of there if he was given the chance to really, or, or given the reins rather. The, uh, the, the 1996 uh, Vancouver Grizzlies, um, Benoit Benjamin, uh, 13.9 points to Greg Anthony's 14 points per game. Uh, Bryant Reeves, 13.3 points. Blue Edwards, uh, 12.7 points. Uh, Byron Scott, uh, 10.2 points. A lot, a lot of Bs there. Um, <laughs> yeah. and then Kenny Gaddison, Eric Murdoch, uh, Chris King, Joe Wilkins. Oof. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't think I've heard of anybody else, uh, on, <laughs> on the team after that. So I like Ashraf Amaya. Yeah. I wonder what he's, uh, what is Ashraf he's up doing to? these days? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He played two seasons. Um, another <laughs> year with the uh, Bullets played at Southern Illinois. He's from, Mel- he's from, from Oak Park and Mellers Park. Huh. Oh, and there you go. He's from my, my old stopping ground. Yeah. So I'm going to have to look up more on, uh, look him up and see what he's up to. Ashraf Amaya. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Andrew was his nickname. So. Oh, okay. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he couldn't pronounce. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, that's cool. Oh God! All right. And um, uh, number eleven, Lou Williams. <laughs> do you know what his name means? This can't be real. This is Ashraf Amaya. I do not know what his name means. Uh, according to the No Look Pass, which Ray Ray's. I mean, I Ray Ray's yeah, pretty Ray reliable. Ray, I, yeah. I assume that he's okay. Right. Uh, he says. Ashraf Amaya, whose name means, quote, most high. Oh, okay. I can see oh. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, you go, like, you know, like exalted, that kind of. Right. Yeah, of course. Right. Not the other kind of most high. No. So. Um, uh, we have no idea what he's doing. Nobody has any clues. So right. I may have walked by him at some point. He might be a, a frequent uh, coffee shop. You know. I, I... Yeah. That was kind of during a dark period for the NBA uh, for me. Well, especially I wasn't watching any any Vancouver Grizzlies. <laughs> Nor should I mean, you. Yeah. I, I mean, would... I was watching playoffs. Maybe that's that's about it. So. Um, and so Lou Williams, uh, he, one of the final preps to pros players in NBA history. I believe the last one to be drafted. I think Amir Johnson was also involved in that draft, but I think they were the last two. Um, he uh, once had two girlfriends at the same time. They apparently were cool with it. And um, <laughs> he's got time for that. I, I completely forgot about this, but in uh, December 2011, he says that his NBA recognition saved him from an armed robbery attempt in a Philadelphia neighborhood. Um, the gunman tried to rob him, but then stopped and re- revealed that he was a fan of his. 
after they reached an understanding, um, Lou bought him McDonald's food. For McDonald's, so, <laughs> or maybe the gunman bought the food for for Lou. I'm not clear on who bought. It. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I guess if, if I the gunman that were Lou apologizing, would, would offer. yeah. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that Lou would offer. I, I, you know, either way, I if somebody were going to not rob me, I would probably buy him McDonald's. Exactly, yeah. right. That's a good trade-off. Yeah, so, uh, so what do the numbers say about Lou? <laughs> Lou Williams. Uh, 12.2 points per game, uh, 2.9 assists per game. Of course, not a uh, not the most no. uh, passing uh, guard or, or uh, point guard-sized man. Yeah, Lou, not, not much Williams. Uh, 41.5 field goal percentage, uh, all time. And then a 34, uh, three point percentage. So again, you know, there's, there's a lot of the issues there with, you know, the field goal percentages and the high volume of shots that he, that he will take without making, you know, all of them, uh, consistently. But the biggest thing that, that sort of tanked him a lot was defensive box score plus minus, which hates him and probably for a good reason. He's not a very good defender, no. so that's okay. And he's also very, in, like I said, a very inefficient scorer, uh, but has propensity for huge scoring nights. He's one of those guys that I don't know where we'll just drop like, you know, 35 on you and you'll be like, oh crap, like. He, and then the next game he'll get like four, and that's just the Lou Williams experience that you go through. Sure. So it's not a terrible you experience. Oh, well. you know, you know it fell in well. So. There are worse experiences than the Lou Williams experience for sure. I like the Lou Williams experience. Yeah, it's all good. Go on yeah. ride a few times, but uh, sure. yeah. And as I mentioned, you know, above average score uh, for reasons why he might not be considered average. You know, above average score, a decent three point shooter, and he's a perfect six man role player because it's just like you know, put the the bench unit comes out and it's him, and it's just like okay, just just shoot, man. It's fine. Like do whatever you want. We don't care. You got like seven minutes to just shoot away, and, and he does. And then sometimes, like I said, he'll get really hot, and he stays in for the rest of the game and scores 35 or 40. Or and then sometimes he just kind of hits like he, he misses one of five, and then you don't hear from him again the rest of the game. And then uh, last year was not that reason because he, he won the sixth man of the year yeah. and was a very big reason for uh, Toronto's success. Yes, well, regular season success anyway. Yeah, well, yeah. Didn't, but... didn't go on the playoffs for them. So. No, no, not very well. Uh, sorry, Raptors fans, don't mean to, you know, pile on or anything. So You're better this, <laughs> this year. year. This is a good year, yeah, though. This is a good year. You guys. like you're going to be good this year. So, um, Next, we have um, Willie Chill Anderson um, played for the Spurs for uh, most of his career. Uh, he's the brother of Shannon Anderson, who, which I had uh, I had no idea that they were brothers. I did not know that either. And um, yeah, he is from Atlanta. And uh, he played on the 1988 Olympic team, the last Olympic team, of course, before the uh, dream team. They lost to the uh, Soviets in the uh, gold medal game, won the bronze, I believe. So uh, not really much else uh, for uh, Willie uh, nope. biographically. Uh, <laughs> other than that, he played about uh, nine years in the league and uh, like I said, most, mostly for the Spurs um, and was uh, was it seemed like he was an OK player. He was okay. The big thing that takes him is his career uh, 26.6 three-point percentage, which is just no yeah. no good for a shooting guard. Uh, even by, like, 90 standards, even, like, 80 standards. Like, that's that's bad. Yeah. That's, like, historically awful. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, pretty good player. 12.2 uh, points per game, uh, 47% from the field otherwise. So, really good at I mean, when you look at that, it's, like, crazy. Like, this guy could, you know, of course, could shoot from everywhere but <laughs> the three-point line. And that was just terrible for him. He just couldn't do anything there. Uh, his rookie season, though, he he showed a lot of promise with the Spurs. Uh, 18.6 points per game, uh, 5.1 rebounds per game. Just a really, really good year. And you kind of said, oh, geez, this guy might have something. But, you know, injuries took much of his skill after uh, his first few years with the Spurs and, and promising years in his career. And then from then, just kind of um, 
you know, it's just it, 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 nothing else really kind of worked for him. And then he was just out of the league uh, for a while. But I mean, you look at that, that that overall shooting number is crazy for like a shooting guard. Like that tells you the story of a guy who I'm sure, uh, you know, not knowing, you know, I, I, I can't recall my favorite Willie Anderson moment, no. but he must have just been a great driver, a great guy getting the lane, because if you're going to shoot nearly 50 percent as a shooting guard, and you have absolutely no three point shooting ability. That's got to be a guy who can really take you off the dribble and really just drive and, and, and do stuff there, because he, he scored a lot for a guy who with with zero outside shooting ability yeah and he was um at least early on in his career he was you you know his usage rates were were fairly high they started to kind of get into the 19 and then lower teens as his career progressed but he, he was a guy who was you know was taking some possessions so that you know that relatively high um shooting percentage you know considering that is pretty good too i mean that and on good San Antonio teams too. I mean, we we yeah. talked about it times on the show that, that people sort of assume that you know Tim Duncan came and then the Spurs were off and running, but yeah. they were off yeah. and running way before that. Starting in ninety, yeah, they they were a good team. Yeah, you know, the... and he was he was there until what ninety four, ninety five, or ninety five. Yeah, and they they were you know they made I think uh, Western Conference Finals in ninety five yeah. and a bunch of other you know semis you know a regular entry into the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Almost yeah they were year. they were generally a team that you thought might have a chance at making the finals. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, number nine, uh, the buffet of goodness, uh, Channing Fry. Uh, he did he give himself that nickname, or did someone else? I, I give think him someone that? else did give him that nickname. I, I, okay, we, I, I always thought he gave himself that, and I was like, no. Um, I think we determined, and we we discussed nicknames at one point, and I believe that he, um, I believe that we determined he was given that nickname, but I do not okay. remember okay. the um. The specifics of that. Uh, he's okay, he is the he played with his, his cousin Tobias Harris, which I did not uh, realize. A lot of uh, learning about a lot of family connections. In Chicago, yeah, this is uh, good through this is uh, good. through the show. Um, <laughs> he uh, of course has uh, played a lot of teams. Uh, probably his best years have been with uh, Phoenix. Um, hmm. Now playing with Orlando, and um, he uh, he was the first center uh, since Sam Perkins in 1997 to compete in the three-point contest, which was in 2010. Um, he had a heart issue that forced him to miss the entire 2013 season, but he returned successfully and has had uh, had a really strong season for Phoenix and then a couple of okay years for uh, for the Magic. Um, also, one of those guys who like um, like his first year sort of. Looked, it was great. He was on track to be like a really good player, and then um, it, it never quite, uh, you, you know, never never quite happened for him um, after that. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, like, I never know what exactly happened. I don't know if the league figured him out or whatever, yeah. but like he's a guy who, yeah, I mean, I, look at his rookie year, and he was, you know, you know, averages over you know ten points per game or whatever. But then, yeah, after that, it, it, it was some struggle, and that was also the turmoil going on with the Knicks. I mean, he was on the Knicks at that point, and there was there was. A lot of stuff going on in, in Nick land at that time, too. I think once he landed in Phoenix, that was kind of like that was the right style. I think the league changed in a way that it kind of benefited. Sure. Too, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because we talk about a center. I mean, he was he was for all intents and purposes kind of a stretch four, but many years he played center sure. as a stretch center, which is like, yeah. In, in you know, when he came into the league, that's unheard of. They probably, you know what I mean? Like a, a center that's shooting threes. But now, you know, he, he the league has sort of evolved with him. And, yeah. and he might have been a little bit early into that peak, like if right now he was kind of entering his prime he might be a little bit more valuable but he's still a big piece i mean orlando went out of their way to grab him you know a few years ago and stuff yeah. and, and those years in phoenix i mean really are, are are a great player but yeah that's that's one of the things that happens with you know this when we talk about an average players those first few years outside of his rookie campaign they just weren't very good he just was kind of a nothing guy and then since then you know he's he's put together solid years uh orlando we were starting to see him regress a little bit here and that's just probably because yeah. he's just getting a little older or whatever might but be roll a little bit too at that yeah, as well that's, that's and system and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Exactly. but but you know we saw in phoenix that he was a, a solid player 
but you know, by and large, you probably could call him average just because it's been sort of an inconsistent career. Yeah, uh, it, it's definitely been um, been up and down. I, I yeah, I think all. So as he's as he aged to a certain point, he got to be a, a good enough defender where like he wasn't completely deficient on that end. So that the offense, you know, obviously, right. uh, where he's good on, on offense, um, you know, he was able to play more because you know as you get older, you learn more on defense and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, that's about it for uh, good old Channing. Uh, next we have uh, Irvin Johnson, uh, Irvin not Magic Johnson as he was uh, called. <laughs> also, I did not realize his nickname was Moose. Um, I think it is. Yeah, I, I always remember calling him Moose. Maybe that was just my nickname for it, <laughs> but I'm almost positive it was Moose. Uh, it is not listed on his basketball reference page. That, that's we'll have to contact the, the basketball reference people about that if that's not the uh, case, because I really do feel like his uh, that should be on there. Um, he, um, I did not realize this, but he uh, worked in a supermarket for three years before uh, being discovered um, by a, uh, I believe, a parent of. Uh, one of the players who at the college he ended up going to university of new orleans um coached by tim floyd and um never played basketball in high school or anything even though he was very tall he had no interest in it um and also something that seemed notable to me is that he played in cold weather cities uh, seattle denver milwaukee uh, minneapolis his entire career never played in a warm weather uh, place so don't know if he just didn't like it or if that's just where he ended up going but i uh, i found that fascinating He's a very big man to be working at a grocery store. You know, he's like six eleven, and well, he can reach <laughs> like, the gro- just... he can reach the groceries pretty well. You know, I wonder if that was his job. They're like, hey, we need to, you know, get those get those crappy cereals up as high as oh, possible. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> that is actually pretty useful. You know, <laughs> and then you have Herman Johnson there. Yeah. That's just a great story. Yeah, that he just like had no injury. Like you always are are, are interested to have because uh, there's quite a few stories of that where you hear this like tall guy or this guy that makes it to the NBA and he's like, yeah, I never played basketball or like I didn't really care. But it's just weird when you're like, you know, because every time you see anybody tall, you just assume, oh, they play basketball. You know what I mean? Or, like, yeah, or I mean, yeah, obviously, like a certain amount of height. You just, yeah, I mean, when, when you're seven, six eleven, you're six I mean. eleven, yes, and you and you have, you know, um, you're very athletic for. And he's like a big, like, there's some people that are like six eleven, but they're like rails. You know, they're 140 pounds. You're like, okay, yeah, you probably weren't for it, but I'm imagining Irvin was a pretty big dude. He was always a very big guy yeah. on his career. But I mean, when you when you talk about average players, he's probably one of the guys where I just think like, yeah, you know what, he he is, and, and nothing wrong with it, but he's a very average guy. I mean, 4.1 points per game, uh, 6.1 rebounds per game, and shot 50% from the field. So. I'd call that pretty average. Sure. Uh, his peak season, I put it at 97-98. He had uh, eight points per game, an explosion of eight <laughs> points per game. Uh, eight rebound, 8.5 rebounds per game and a uh, 2.2 value over replacement player. So so go Irvin. But um, yeah, I think the big reason he's average is he's just, he saw a lot of time on the court but didn't put to get mu- uh, together much in the way of stats. So box score plus minus will never really love you in that. Or, you know, he's on the floor for a while. Uh, he's, you know, doing stuff, but it, it, he's not really getting – you know, gaudy stats, not getting got you know big rebounds, big uh, points. He's not doing much of that, uh, and he never had above uh, ten points per game, and then never uh, or just once had above uh, ten rebounds per game. So that hurts a little bit. But he's a very good role player, um, and he was on a lot of successful teams too. People kind of forget that he was a big part of those uh, early Sonics teams uh, as well. The uh, the ninety Sonics teams that made it uh, to the NBA Finals one time, and then you know competed in the Western Conference, and then the early two thousand Bucks, the Bucks that almost made it to the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, you know, it almost knocked off Iverson and all those guys, but yeah, yeah just a really one, interesting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And they had a really good, they had a good few years there with Ray Allen and, and, and a bunch of the other guys, uh, there were there, Glenn Robinson, of course, uh, was there as well, but yeah, he was a good role player in that. So I think, you know, 
and and what what is interesting too is defensive box plus minus does like him as well. They give him very good numbers and they help soften the blow of his offensive box plus minus, which are not good at all. And it kind of makes sense as well because yeah, he, he didn't. Score it's just not well. a very. I mean, if yeah. you've ever watched Irvin, John, uh, Irvin Johnson play, it was yeah, it, it, it was, was it was very basic. Yes, he was very good at like rotating off like his defender and like stopping the ball, but that was about uh, yeah, it. Yeah, so. he, he he had he had size and he had some athleticism and he moved fine, but it was very um it, it was not surprising watching him play NBA basketball that he um you know did not play before college because he, he yeah was, exactly you know it was just um yeah it, there was nothing pretty about him. He is almost no. exactly the opposite of the other Irvin <laughs> Magic Johnson, where he, he's completely like um, very little artistry in his game. You know, not that there's anything wrong with how he played, but it was just there was there was nothing pretty or or exciting about it. It was very uh, it, it was very pretty. He, he he would not be able to the the kind of bigs that um, the Irvin Johnson like bigs would not be able to play today. Um, oh, you know, they would just need some skill. You know, I mean, even the the stiffest of stiffs, you know, still have more skill than Irvin Johnson probably did. You even even Omar Ashik, you know, he has some level of skill. Right, and, that's a good. That's a pretty good comp. Yeah, just yeah, a, yeah. Right, and, and even he probably has more mobility and, and <laughs> power than yeah. It's 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 not pretty for old uh, old Irvin, but that's fine. Yeah, that's okay. It was effective. Yeah, it, it worked. It, it was fine. He was he was solid enough player. So, um, number seven, Chris Mills, the aforementioned uh, Chris Mills, um, who, as you talked about, um, attempted to make a basket on the wrong side of the court after a jump ball in 1999. His, his shot was actually blocked by uh, Samaki Walker, who was also confused about what was going on. Um, <laughs> And it's one um, of the great plays in NBA history. It's just it's it's amazing. Like it 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 is yeah. And, and I guess it's, it's not like entirely like it is somewhat understandable how it could happen. I guess, but oh absolutely um, yeah yeah. But it it is it is pretty funny. There is video of it uh, if you if you Google it. And um, the other uh, notable incident in his career is that he uh, was involved in a uh, fight with uh, Bonzi Wells at the end of a game. And he reportedly tried to get into the uh, Blazers locker room, was restrained. So later, witnesses said that Mills parked his car in front of Portland's bus, then got out with several friends and challenged the Blazers. He was uh, he was suspended for uh, multiple games for uh, this three games, I uh, I, I believe. Um, and um, and and yes, that that. Uh, the Chris Mills experience. <laughs> not, not good at keeping his temper, it seems. At least in, uh, no, no. In that he was playing for Golden State at the time, and <laughs> and um, yeah, the Blazers actually won that game on a last-second Rasheed Wallace jumper, and there was a altercation that started a brawl involving players from both sides. Uh, Rasheed was fined fifteen thousand dollars for trying to go after a fan who throw a wad of gun of gum at him. So that was just <laughs> a uh, there, there was a big mess there. So uh, there's a Jason Richardson quote saying. It was a bad scene. A lot of people could have gotten hurt, but the league looked at the tape. They saw what guys were trying to do. No one is out there looking for a fight. fight. So I guess guys are trying to break it up as that uh, thing happened. So, um, well, thankfully, I, it would I, be the last time Rashid Wallace would be involved in any altercation with a crowd member. Go. So that's I, that, that. Thankfully, that never happened again. So I'm betting that if that happened today, we'd see that video. Uh, yes, <laughs> it, would leak, it would leak somehow. Oh, there'd be like seven thousand camera. You know what I mean? Like camera phones. Well, oh yeah, people, yeah, that's right. Camera phones. That that would be. That's yeah. right. Someone would have captured it. I didn't even think about that, but yes. Plenty of stuff. Uh, Chris Mills, uh, the Chris Mills experience, uh, 11.2 points per game, uh, 4.9 rebounds per game, uh, 
43.2% uh, from the field, and then a 35% uh, three-point shooter. So, I mean, you look at average, he was never top 10 in any statistical category throughout his career. Uh, he reached a high point early in his career with the Cavs, but uh, regression came very quickly, and then he just started bouncing around the league. So that, that really hurts him. But when you look at his first four years, I mean, he's been a pretty solid player there. You know, 12.6 points per game, uh, 5.4 rebounds per game, uh, 26 win shares as well in four years, which is, is very solid. But it was the last part of his career where, uh, you know, a lot of stuff, maybe attitude issues as well, played into it, some of it as well. But he bounced around the league, never really could find a fit anywhere, uh, and just he, he regressed very quickly. But, it you know, it looks pretty promising for the first four years. Uh, but the big reason he's on this list is those last years are just – they're not much there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we talked about in a, uh, a previous episode, yeah, those were not good years for Golden State. So, um, uh, yeah. Both in fashion and in um, – <laughs> Right, yeah. None of it was good. Um, and so number six, and I, the kind of would probably be like the guy who might typify average NBA player for me, Morris Peterson. Um, he has played the most games in Toronto Raptor history, which I think says something about the uh, Raptor franchise. Sorry, I'm not trying to pile on the Raptors. I feel like I, I yeah, I we're really this is the very we're gonna have to have our, our next show will be all about the Raptors and how cool yeah, they are. It'll, so. it'll be all pro Raptors, yes. Um, he was. <laughs> we won't uh, talk about Chris Bosh, Vince Carter, or <laughs> we'll just talk about uh, who are we allowed to talk about in Raptor Land? Who do they still we'll, like? Well, we'll they we'll like figure, Vince Carter. Again, you'll figure. But, uh, they they kind of like Vince again. So um, well, they like Morris Peterson probably. So Mo Pete, we're gonna talk yeah. all about Mo Pete. Oh, Pete, yes. He, uh, before that, of course, he helped lead Michigan State to a national title. Uh, probably one of the highlights of his time as a Raptor where they were playing the Wizards. Michael Ruffin, at the very end of the game, uh, intercepted a uh, pass, then tossed the ball high in the air in an attempt to, <laughs> um, you know, to get it away from everybody before the clock expired. But I uh, didn't get up high enough. Peterson <laughs> and caught like the ball. seven seconds left on the clock. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was less than that, but it was not much, yes. And Peterson caught the ball hit, and then hit a game-tying three, and the Raptors ended up winning the uh, game in overtime. So um, one of the funniest, um, you know, end-of-game full pause for uh, any uh, NBA player. And, um, uh, yeah, I, actually, I guess I'm a little surprised Michael Ruffin wasn't on this list, but I guess he was more. I guess he was <laughs> he's, too, too bad. He's to be below average. I'd put him very below average. Is, is yeah, Michael I, Ruffin. I, yes, I if, if you're looking for a, a case of, you're like, why are you calling these guys average? Like, Michael Ruffin is, is uh, yeah, he's he's below. Why Why do I click? Why does he have a 2016 player profile in Roto World? Hold on a minute. Michael There's Ruffin. no way Michael Ruffin, like, went to someone's camp. Or is he, like, uh, oh, this is 2011. Like okay, it's 2011. Okay. Uh, I don't know. This is um, it, it doesn't it, it, for whatever reason it said like 2016 news Michael Ruffin, but they probably just auto do. Okay, I got very nervous that somebody called like a 40 year old Michael Ruffin to be like like training camp or summer league. I was okay. All right. Yes. That, uh, that Michael Ruffin's um, career box triple plus minus is negative 1.2. By the way, so oh, that's for, not good for, for the record. So, that's, um, Pete. Um, uh, okay, yes. I don't know. I mean, he was never a great defender, uh, and that kind of hurt his box score plus minus numbers. He was also not a very efficient scorer uh, from the field. He was 41.8% uh, in his career, but he had an oddly good three-point percentage at 37.3, and I actually wanted to look at this. I said, how many people have, like, you know, a less than 42% you know, from the field and then 37% from three? Like, that seems very rare. It seems like an odd, you know, sort of set of, of numbers. Uh, and actually, there's only been four guys in history that have done it, um, or five guys, rather, uh, that have, um, or well, there, there's plenty that have done it, but like five that are actually, I thought, really 
like decent players, like all time really good players. Uh, Chauncey Billups, Derek Fisher, Kirk Heinrich, and Bruce Bowen are all your guys that are there. I shouldn't yeah. have said there's many people that have done it, but like there's not many good players that, that do that. It's, it's sure. a very yeah. odd skill set for people that are going to be good to stay in the league for a long time. I so. feel like I feel like Morris Peterson belongs kind of in the Fisher Heinrich, Bruce Bowen uh, category. Obviously, Billups I agree. is one, yeah, you know, it was one sort of the thing. all time like, great players. Weird. Yeah. Who's ever done yeah. that? And I was like, okay. Billups kind of surprised me. I was surprised uh, Billups was in there. But, like, Bruce Bowen and, and like, Kirk Heinrich, yeah, that fits kind of what I would uh, assume from Morris Peterson. Otherwise, um, you know, career averages of 10.7 points per game, 3.5 rebounds per game. Uh, peak season was probably 05, 06, and that was the the beginning of the post-VC uh, Raptors. They had Chris Bosh and some other guys in there, but they desperately needed scoring, and and, and Morris kind of filled that role very well. You know, 16.8 points per game, uh, 4.6 rebounds per game, and shot, you know, 43% from the field. So he had a, a very good season. And, yeah, as far as, like, him being average, I thought he was a perfect role player uh, for those Vince Carter-led Raptors teams. I mean, a very, um, you, you know, just a decent, you know, wing player to sort of play off Vince and hit some threes and and and, and just fit his role quite well. And that's, you know, the team that almost made it to these or, – or made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, almost made it to the NBA Finals. Uh, and he filled his void a, as a high-volume scorer uh, as well. When Carter left, as I mentioned, it was him, Jalen Rose, and Chris Bosh that sort of led those post-Vince uh, uh, Raptors teams. And then uh, he also, later in his career, he had a solid role in those New Orleans Hornets teams that made it to the, the, the playoffs and had some pretty deep playoff runs with Chris Paul as well. So, yeah, there, there's some interesting stuff there with Mo Pete. But, yeah, I wouldn't call him an average player at all, but I see why he's on this list. I see why metrics would sort of not really like. He's he's very much an early 90, or uh, like an early 2000s player. You know what I mean? Like, sure. a lot of those guys are just not loved by those metrics, and that was, you know, there was a lot of just inefficient scoring going on in that era, which is fine. I mean, at the time it was it was kind of the norm, and he was one of the better ones uh, of that era, but I get sort of why he he you know, metrics wouldn't like him very much. So, yeah, he was, uh, of course, uh, in the uh, Kobe 81 game on the uh, Raptors. Um, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Yes. So he was only negative seven in the uh, in that game. So he, he had the best uh, plus minus of any <laughs> of the starters for the um, Raptors in that game. So, you know, so so good for him. Um. Anyway, um. Next, another uh, longtime Toronto Raptor is uh, Jose Calderon, who is the second most games in Raptor history with 525. Now, DeMar DeRozan is near 500 games um, at the time of this recording and will very likely break. Uh, he may even break Peterson's record. I think it'll be, it will be close uh, depending on how many games he plays of uh, this season. If he stays, probably would break it next season. Either way, um, He's in that category. Um, he also holds the NBA record for highest free throw uh, percentage in a season with 98.1% in the 09 season. Um, and um, he, you have some interesting information about him, but he, um, he also has a famously has a pig farming business, which is referenced often by the, uh, by the starters. Uh, and yeah, he, uh, he's got a great nickname too, that I, I had no idea. And I clicked on basketball reference today and, and, I saw one of his nicknames was Mr. Catering. And I said, catering. Huh. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm very curious why his name is Mr. Catering. Is he a man that enjoys, you know, a nice catered spread? Is he like, uh, you know, why is this? And so uh, I did a little bit of research and here's the exact quote from his website. And I believe there's uh, maybe something lost in translation. Cause I don't know if I quite understand any of this, which is going on, but it says uh, Jose Calderon attended the presentation of the second fan club that carries his name in Villanueva de la Serena, uh, Serena. I don't know what it is. Serena. It is 
called this yeah whatever mr catering jm calderon using the nickname that tv broadcaster andres montez gave him a nickname that calderon is quote delighted with because quote it is original and funny so that gives you absolutely no insights as to why he's called mr catering other than this random tv broadcaster called him mr catering so it's, it's a very... and it, it delights him so he yeah. says it so, there you go mr catering uh, we'll if you have, have any insights that... again if you're also yeah. if you're an expert of harness racing and or jose calderon nicknames uh please chime in we would love to know why he is mr catering yes i could not find it i tried i really did i couldn't find anything yeah so yeah i, I mean he was a guy like he was a guy who flirted with a lot of like 50, 40, 90 shooting seasons in his career. So, so you might think, well, with the offensive numbers, he, he might be above average. Um, but he's also well regard well known as a poorly regarded defender. So I guess it sort of washes out in the end. Yeah. And, and you look at his career numbers, you know, 10 points per game, 6.5 assists per game. I don't know if they tell the great tale of, of sort of what he is because, um, as you said, he was a really good shooter, a really good role player as well, uh, and, and fit his guard role perfectly as well. Um, you know, the defensive box score plus minus really dislikes him, and that's I, I won't argue with that too much. But uh, his offensive box plus minus, and again, that's talking about the efficient scoring, all really help him. But that's really the the defense in that metric really just didn't like him. And, and to be fair, that's that's it's pretty accurate to a lot of the uh, Jose Calderon stuff. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean. You look at some of his numbers, and they're pretty gaudy for a guy, uh, you know, in the 2000s. He's got four top 10 finishes and assists. Uh, of course, he had the best free throw percentage in 08-09. Uh, he had the NBA's best uh, three-point percentage in 2012-13. Uh, and four times he was in the top 10 in effective field goal percentage. So, you know, he's got some gaudy kind of counting stats and numbers like that, but there's a lot of just other yeah. stuff that sort of tank puts him on this list. But I would call him one of the better guys we're going to talk about on this entire list. Yeah, I, I think probably the issue that... Um is that he didn't really shoot it a lot. Um, like he maybe didn't right. shoot it enough for that to, for, um, and I as also sort of known as a guy who, um, would only make the passes that definitely were like, he would always make the safe pass. He wouldn't necessarily like make like a, a risky pass, which is good. Cause you, you less likely be turnovers, but <clears throat> it can also make your offense a little bit, um, too pedestrian in a way so i think that might be something that's sort of a knock against him despite the great efficiency maybe if there had been a greater amount of volume that would have had more value so true yeah um so number four is uh is scott wedman who um played uh from the mid 70s to the uh to the mid 80s uh was a two-time all-star for the kings when they were in kansas city and then later um, was a a role player for the Boston Celtics um, for some of their championship teams. Most famously, he went 11 for 11 from the field in game one of the 85 finals against the Lakers. That is the uh, famous Memorial Day massacre where the Celtics uh, beat the Lakers by uh, something like 35 points. So. Uh, also was a part of the uh, 40 and 42 Kings who made the Western Conference Finals in 81 against Houston, who also were 40 and 42. That was the uh, a weird year where a Moses Malone uh, led Houston team, made the finals, ended up falling to the uh, Celtics that year. Um, was also a uh, known as a strict vegetarian at a time. I mean, not that vegetarianness is that common in the NBA now, but certainly would have been pretty rare in uh, you know the, the mid-80s. Yeah, hard to find food to eat then. I mean, God, it's it's. I know yeah, it's hard enough road. now for people. 
that, that yeah. fr- I have friends, you know, that are vegetarian and it's never been easier. I mean, now there's plenty of places like I'll even eat at places that have, you know, vegetarian, like I'll eat at vegan places because I, I enjoy it sometimes and, and enjoy it. And like, I like the, like the fake chicken and, and some other stuff like that. But man, like yeah. I remember back in the nineties, like there's, I mean, it's tofu or pretty much <laughs> like nothing. Right. God, eighties and, and, and yeah. on the road. I mean, geez, I can, I right. can't even imagine like what he ate. Like, sure. You know, and, and stayed in good health uh, as well, because, you know, I, I could see it just being a thing where, uh, especially on the road, I mean, the options are, I mean, that post-game spread's going to come out, and it's like, all right, I'll have crackers, I guess, again today. Like, great, right, cool. Like, But uh, um, if he had Mr. Catering Jose Keller on his team, maybe he would have found oh, There you go. Some better been. options if he had just, yeah. just asked. Vegetarian uh, catering, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We'll have to see if we can get that together, you know. Exactly. Uh, as far as Wedman, uh, career average is uh, 13.2 points per game, 4.8 rebounds per game. Uh, peak season is definitely uh, 79.80 with the Kings. He had 19 points per game, uh, 5.7 rebounds per game, and uh, shot 51.2% from the field. And that was one of his two all-star bids as well. But the problem was is he just wasn't very statistically relevant in a lot of other, uh, you know. He had a high minute load but wasn't really doing much on the court, and that's, you know, box score plus minus. I mean, he was affecting the game in a lot of ways because I think it was, it was a very good player but you know not picking up gaudy numbers and it didn't help when he moves to boston and, and you know they don't really need him to be <laughs> the big scorer or or do a bunch of stuff but you know he when when needed he was a really good sharpshooter a very good volume scorer especially with his uh, early career in kansas city um and as we mentioned a two-time all-star so you look at a guy who you, you know by and large you know had good years but you know is a, is a very good average player if that makes sense yeah i i i agree um, maybe a little better than this gives than the numbers give him credit for, but I agree. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, played a better, played, played a bigger role than yeah. They probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I would, I, I would say that that's fair. Yeah, I mean Boston, he did not. He was like a fifteen minute, um, a game type player. Right. He, he was in his early, uh, thirties by then. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he twelve years in the league. I mean, he definitely had, he had a decent little career. Uh, in as you mentioned, was uh, you know, he played a lot of minutes early on in his career. Was pretty good for Kansas City. Went to Cleveland. That didn't work out so well. But then uh, went went to Boston and and worked, things worked out better. So, um. Number three is James Donaldson, uh, who was uh, born in England. Um, he was the 73rd pick in the 1979 draft. That was the Magic Johnson uh, draft. Uh, he uh, but managed to make an all-star team, although he was named uh, the worst all-star ever in a, I think, New York Daily News poll. <laughs> oh, it was, um, yeah. New York. Yes. He, uh, he led the, le- the league in field goal percentage in 1985. Uh, and he ran for mayor of Seattle in 2009. Price spent the best years of his career in um, uh, in Dallas. He also did. He played for Seattle for a while for the Clippers for a couple of seasons and kind of bounced around toward the uh, end of uh, his career after Dallas. Yeah, and, and Donaldson, um, kind of interesting. And I, I, maybe I'll pose this question to you: uh, Is he the best English-born player ever? Um. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I looked up. There weren't actually born in england there were not i don't i don't i think he is the second best because uh well you know what honestly i don't know he might he might yeah, ben be gordon yeah ben gordon is probably the biggest you know he, i think james Dawson, him, I'd say. i think james Dawson might be better than ben gordon honestly yeah i that, that's fair yeah yeah i and it's, it's um, an interesting case yeah yeah, yeah. i i yeah because i mean ben gordon was good for a couple years but then he kind of fell off pretty 
Um, but I don't know. I that's that's a tough call. I mean, uh, John Amici was not born in England. He he was he was from England, but he actually he was I believe he was born in the United States. Or he was born someplace else that was not England. So for <laughs> if we're being technical about it, then um, <laughs> born in then, England, damn it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah, not English player, but born in yeah. It, exactly. Yes. So. Uh, but yeah, I mean, his numbers, there's some pretty good seasons in there and some pretty good stuff to look at. Uh, 8.6 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game, and a 57% from the field, which is a really good rate as well, yeah. uh, combined with stuff. Uh, I, I put his peak season at 84-85, and that's not one of his all-star years, but uh, he had 11.3 points per game, 8.1 rebounds per game, and a uh, league-leading 63.7 field goal percentage, which is still, still to this day, one of the top 10 highest percentages in NBA history, which is incredible. 63.7. It's awesome. But uh, yeah, despite that high field goal percentage, he just didn't score much. And uh, interestingly enough, I tried to uh, another kind of play index search here. As I said, man, this guy had a really good field, field goal percentage, but they didn't really give him the ball. And that's very interesting. So I said, uh, decided to look at sort of his numbers all time and see how many other people sort of resemble him. And uh, in fact, Donaldson is one of three players to average more than 25 points per game, shoot higher than 57% uh, from the field, and yet have less than 10 points per game in his career. The other two? Are DeAndre Jordan and Tyson Chandler? There you go. So very interesting. Um, so and you know yeah. those guys' skill sets. So, um, yeah, his All Star season, he had uh, seven point zero points, nine point three uh, rebounds. So uh, that does seem like a little bit of an odd choice. Uh, that was <laughs> a year Dallas was better than expected. They took the Lakers to seven games in the uh, conference finals. So, um, so, so, so they maybe maybe he just kind of got a little bit of credit for that, but. Um, but yes, it does. Uh, it does sort of seem odd. But yeah, I, I guess it's a pretty terrible. It's a pretty terrible. Fits, fits, <laughs> pretty terrible well, it, you know, yeah, it's not not exceptional. Certainly, I mean, um, maybe just defensively, he was. They thought he was a good defender. I don't know. But um, so next, and this, yeah, the, the last two are uh, were a surprise to me. Uh, number two, Again, don't blame uh, us. Blame box score plus minus. <laughs> all right, <laughs> we're just <laughs> yes. Just to be clear, if someone's uh, gonna read it. Someone's gonna listen to it out of context, or someone's gonna say something. It's like, don't blame us. I promise. Uh, number going. two is Jermaine O'Neal. Um, now I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that there are that many passionate Jermaine O'Neal fans out there. I mean, I guess <laughs> there must be some. There's there some passionate some... Dave Cowens fans. I mean, there anything is possible. Anything yeah, is possible. Well, I mean, Dave Cowens like an all-time great. Like Jermaine O'Neal is. I, I just I can't think of anything. Like I can't think of an NBA player like a Hot pretty take, good NBA. Well, no, I'm just saying I, I can't think of like a a pretty good, fairly important NBA player that inspires less passion in me than Jermaine O'Neal. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Jermaine O'Neal. He was totally fine. No. Um, he he was actually a very good player for um, you know, for a number of years. Like I think he's a six-time All Star. Uh, was once on the All NBA second team, twice in the third team. Um, actually was at the time the youngest player to ever play in an NBA game. Um, 18 years, one month and 22 days. Andrew Bynum later broke that record. Youngest player to score 20 uh, in a game. Um, and then, yeah, he was like a, a 2010 guy for uh, a number for several years and made six all-star games. So, so during, you know, his peak, he was absolutely a fabulous player. It's, it's kind of the other times where, you know, that, that drag him. I think it's definitely like the early part of his career. And then the oh, yeah, later part yeah. of his career where it's, you know, he was not much of a player. So. Yeah. He, he, you know, he hung around the league for a long time after sort of his peak ha had ended. And, and when you combine that with his first four years in Portland, where he was just, I mean, he was just a baby at that point, and as not, I mentioned. And, yeah, did, and it wasn't a team that was really conducive to like, hey, let's let this like 19-year-old try things out because it was like, oh, God, our team's like kind of good and we want to win a championship. And then there was a particular year where, you know, things were getting kind of weird with him. And they said, okay, and they signed him to a really 
big deal for a guy who really hadn't done anything at that point. I think it was a three-year deal for pretty decent money and then went and like acquired Steve Smith and Scotty Pippen and a bunch of other guys. And it was like, okay, you're, you're not going to play like this team is not meant for you to develop here. This is a team that's sort of, so it, it's odd when you remember that he's on those teams. Cause it's just such a weird spot for a guy uh, of his, you know, uh, what he eventually became, but that's kind of the fun of it is that he goes to Indiana then, and then he blows up and, and has a really, really good career with Indiana. Um, you know, at the peak of his career, I put 0304 as his peak, and that's 20.1 points per game, 10 rebounds per game. And then you can make a case for a number of years during that point when he was just a consistent 2010 guy almost every single year for about five or six years. Um, as mentioned here, uh, you, you know, you had said that he went, you know, six consecutive all-star games, uh, all-NBA second team, most improved player in 2002. So he's got gaudy numbers for a little bit of a period, but you kind of see why he's on this list because the last part of his career, uh, he's been bouncing around to Boston, Phoenix, and Golden State and those sort of yeah. places. Of course, he's retired now and was just completely ineffective in, in, in all of those. And then his first four years, I mean, four full years in Portland that are almost completely just nothing there yeah you know it doesn't make up for for what was a pretty solid peak but a very short peak in indiana yeah uh yeah and he played a long time it just it's a weird mix of things that kind of lead to the end and like at the end of his career he was probably like an okay player but he definitely wasn't like a productive player you know he was right yeah, he was just sort of he was there he had a good like veteran role player yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of stuff which was fine but yeah like fine, when, you, when but... you talk about you know it was such a, a big contrast to to what he was because he was the best player on that indiana team and, and people sort sort of forget and and maybe for better or for worse that that team was really on the rise when the uh, really I mean a lot of people thought that that team that year uh, the, the Malice and the Palace happened that was what a lot of people thought was their year I mean they were just really loading up with talent everybody was kind of gelling together at, at the exact right time the year before I think they had won you know 55 plus games or something like that but then it all just kind of or even they might have even gotten to 60 one of those years but then of course the Malice happened a lot of guys missed time some guys missed the whole year and just after that it just completely unraveled for for that entire franchise uh yeah definitely and uh, yeah they until, in 04 04 they won 61 um games that year and um and and lost to the uh, lost to the Pistons in the uh, playoffs. And then, you know they yeah they were definitely like a team that felt like okay they could be a title contender. And if they had been able to kind of keep those guys together, they were going to be a team that you know I mean that that definitely could have changed the course of NBA history. I mean they had they had O'Neal, they had um, Ron Artest, they had Reggie Miller who was aging but still w- was effective. Um, you know they, they had they had some pretty good. Um, some pretty good pieces there steven jackson as well i mean guys who were talented and fit pretty well together and um they had a good system and that it's kind of like one of the great what if teams. good coach too and rick carlisle yeah exactly, uh, yeah, well. yeah and if they if it hadn't uh have been for the malice in the palace um you know kind of what could have been um for them they, they could have definitely been competing with the pistons for those conference finals and maybe even you know gotten to the NBA, nba finals and who knows from there but um uh, but obviously that did happen. So, um, and that also affected the career of our uh, our number one um, most average player ever, according to uh, again box score plus minus. Um, it is Stephen Jackson, um, who Stack Jack. yes, Stephen Jack is the uh, uh, <laughs> our favorite nicknames for him. Um, he. Um, yeah, he he bounced around in the league uh, a lot. Of course, he played for the uh, was a part of the Malice in the Palace as well, along with uh, Jermaine O'Neal. Much greater role in the uh, in in that uh, brawl than he uh, suspended thirty games for. There actually went into the stands and uh, and and you know got involved in the uh, shenanigans there. Jermaine O'Neal a, a lesser role. I, it's interesting for O'Neal, like 
like the reputation that Artest and Steven Jackson got um, that stuck with them for, you know, the rest of their careers, basically, um, even though Artest, you know, was on a finals, t- a championship team and in got a little bit more um he was less reviled although he was still sort of considered a weirdo um i think jackson kind of was was pretty reviled for the most rest of his career but jermaine o'neal like there was the the stink of that didn't really like stick it didn't really hit on him too much and i yeah and i guess it's and he played a big role in it (laughs) yeah pretty bad part yeah i mean he he wailed on a guy who had kind of come on the court i mean you know i you know, it was a weird situation. I'm not trying to like disparage it. Yeah, you know, it's it was crazy, but um, but yeah, he was he was pretty involved as well. So it's interesting that I guess because that was pretty much an, an exception in behavior for him, where there were other things right. with Artest and with Jackson that um, you know, were uh, uh they're, they're a little notorious as well. But um, so he um, played in the CBA, Australia, Venezuela, and the Dominican Republic before finally catching on to the, in the NBA in uh, 2000. Uh, played for the Nets for a little while. P- played for the uh, Spurs 03 uh, championship team. Um, and then most famously with the Pacers and then later with the, um, with the Golden State Warriors, helping them uh, have a... Uh, big part of the Warriors upset of the Mavs in 2007 with uh, his defense on Dirk and averaging 22.8 points, 4.5 rebounds, 3.7 assists and 2.0 steals uh, there. So, um, you know, was definitely a character, definitely an interesting guy. Whenever he does interviews, he's always uh, interesting and insightful. So, um, yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah. I've always loved him. Uh, I love that he got uh, he got MVP shares in 09, 010, yes. <laughs> or, uh, yes. 09 2010, which is like, I looked at his year and I was like, eh, I mean, it's okay. Yes. But, like, I, I, was it, was I that his top I, year? Uh, yes, that go. was one of those. Yeah, and that and that was like, again, like similar to what we talked about, like Greg Anthony. It was like, well, someone's got a score. So here, Steven, there you go. You take the ball a lot. But uh, even then, it's not, I don't know. Don't think I would call him a most valuable player, but that's okay. Uh, I put his peak season at at oh eight oh nine. That was twenty, uh, and this is with the Warriors. Uh, twenty point seven points per game, five point one rebounds per game, and six point five assists per game. Uh, that year is famous for the uh, Baron Davis got hurt for a little bit while uh, as well. And being Don Nelson, he said, you know, Jackson, you'd be the point guard for a while, and it it worked. I mean, he 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 did it quite well, and that's yeah. that's kind of Jackson was was a very multi talented guy and was coached by a lot of really good players as well. I know uh, Popovich always talked about how highly he really enjoyed him and and what he would have done with him uh, had he had you know stuck around in San Antonio. But you get why he moved on and and went other places because he ended up having you know kind of flourishing in a few other spots after that. But uh, yeah, as far as why he's average, uh, he's a relatively inefficient scorer. Uh, again, he's similar to in Lou Williams in a way that you know he can explode for a lot of points and he can also just have really really bad games and and it it was reflected in the numbers as well Uh, also defensive box score plus minus doesn't really like him all that much which i take a little bit of uh because i i think he's a pretty good defender yeah um and and i was assuming that he got more steals than i thought but i guess i guess he didn't really accumulate as much as i had thought he did but yeah defensive box score plus minus did not like him all that much um but you know you talk about inconsistent uh, throughout his career but when in the right situation he absolutely excelled uh, you know, he scored over 20 points per game a few years, uh, fit in perfectly with that, like you said, the talented Indiana team, uh, later fit in perfectly with the Bobcats and really gave them, you know, kind of a scoring threat that they needed. Uh, and then, of course, small part of the Spurs title in 03 and just, uh, you know, and then, of course, the, the Warriors thing as well. So I, I, you look at a guy and he had a lot of really cool, you know, different individual seasons, but maybe not all around a, a great career, but he's 
of these guys on this list, I'd say he's probably him and Jermaine O'Neal are probably I, I think they fit quite well as one and two here on this list because you look at a guy, he might be the best average player we have on this entire list. Uh, I would I would agree, yes. Absolutely. Um all right, is that is there anything else, Rich? I think we've uh, That was pretty average. Yeah, I, God, that was mediocre. I think we did it. <laughs> Jeez. I don't be so harsh, Rich. I think we did I, I think we did okay. <laughs> no, average is okay. All average right. is fine. All right, fair enough. But we're trying to be better than it. All right. We're, we're, you know, Maybe next time. I'm going to be the Scott Wedman of uh, basketball podcast. There you go. Hey, you know, if we can. There's nothing wrong with hey, that. You know? you know, we have a good episode every so often. We hit, you know, hit on every single point. Yeah, win a couple of championships. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, right. It's all good. Um, so we, so next week we are, we'll be back and we're going to try to tackle the uh, recent ESPN uh, NBA rank in uh, full. Uh, talk about a few of the issues that that raised. Talk about some of the, uh, some of the contemporary players that they are ranked and see how can we feel about that. And and we're going to look into a few um, historic uh, box score, box score metrics that we've never uh, looked into before and see if that tells us anything Um so a little bit of a follow-up from our top 50 shows, a little bit of looking into that. I think that'll be a, a cool and interesting show. So hopefully people will uh, will check that out and be into that. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be kind of fun to tackle that uh, you know, once it's finally out. And we have some stuff, too, because, of course, we did our top 50, uh, our 50 greatest players. So it'll help us sort of compare and contrast what they did, what we did, things we didn't like, things we like, you know, different stuff like that. We're trying to – we don't want to get too hot takey and just go like, ah, oh, this is terrible and that's bad yeah. and that's why, you know, they listed this guy wrong. But yeah. uh, try to break it down a little bit more and talk about some of the players involved and, and, and maybe why they were ranked in the certain places versus just simply going, oh, my God, that's terrible ranking for that guy, you know, because we've did this and it's not easy. We know how hard it is. So um, I think by and large they're doing a pretty good job, but there are some gripes. That we yeah, yeah, there's there, a few but... things. But it's more just a, a look into a lot of issues that it raises as opposed to – specific complaints about um about it I mean, there, may, there are gonna be a few complaints but we're exactly yeah well we're, we're generally pretty reasonable people so i think we'll uh you know we'll have reasonable thoughts on it um but anyway uh hopefully people will be excited about that uh and you can check us out at harborparoxysm.com you can find us on itunes either the um the hp network uh, itunes or our own uh, over and back itunes you facebook and twitter at over and back NBA, uh, follow us there and check out what we're doing. Um, so thanks everyone for listening, and until next time, I'll be back again soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. 
Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 